MSW Media. Big shout out today to Helix Sleep. Take their two-minute sleep quiz and they'll match you to a mattress that'll give you the best sleep of your life. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and use code HELIXPARTNER. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, July 10th, 2023. Today, Donald Trump discussed having the Internal Revenue Service investigate Peter Strzok and Lisa Page. The El Paso Walmart shooter has been sentenced to 90 consecutive life terms in prison. The D.C. Bar Disciplinary Panel has found Rudy Giuliani committed misconduct over the 2020 election and has recommended disbarment. Arizona Governor Katie Hobbs makes birth control available over the counter. California and Texas officials have asked the Department of Justice to investigate Florida for sending migrants to other states. Jamie Raskin has announced he will not make a bid for Senate. Kevin McCarthy declines to endorse Donald Trump, while Ocasio-Cortez endorses Joe Biden. And Wisconsin Governor Evers has funded schools for the next 402 years. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hey, everybody. Happy Monday. Uh, Dana's traveling today, last-minute travel plans, so she will be back in your ears with me tomorrow. So thank you for your patience there. I'll be taking you through the news today. Um, a couple of quick hits, though. The self-described white nationalist who killed 23 people at the El Paso Walmart in 2019, targeting Latinos, was given 90 consecutive life sentences by a federal judge on Friday. Rep. Jamie Raskin, the Democrat of Maryland, has officially passed on a bid for Senate. He announced on Friday he would be running again for the House. He says, at this moment, I believe the best way for me to make the greatest difference in American politics in 2024 and beyond is this to run for re-election in the House of Representatives in Maryland's extraordinary 8th District. So congratulations to Mr. Raskin, and uh, we support him in his decision. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has endorsed President Joe Biden and his re-election campaign, sending a very strong sign of Democratic unity from one of the party's most liberal members. And on the other side, Kevin McCarthy has declined to endorse Donald Trump. So that's fun. I think that's funny. So, uh, yeah, Dems in array, as we like to say. All right, we have a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. First up from Mike Schmidt at The New York Times, John Kelly, who served as former Trump's second White House chief of staff, said in a sworn statement that Donald had discussed having the IRS and other federal agencies investigate two FBI officials involved in the investigation into his campaign's ties to Russia. Mr. Kelly said that his recollection of Trump's comments to him was based on notes that he took at the time. Trump hates it when people take notes. (laughs) Kelly provided copies of his notes to lawyers for one of the FBI officials who made the sworn statement public in a court filing this week. President Trump, quote, questioned whether investigations by the Internal Revenue Service or other federal agencies should be undertaken into Mr. Strzok and or Ms. Page. That's what Mr. Kelly said in the statement. He went on to say, I do not know of President Trump ordering such an investigation. It appeared, however, he wanted to see Mr. Strzok and Ms. Page investigated, unquote. Now, Kelly's assertions uh, were disclosed on Thursday. 
in a statement that was filed in connection with lawsuits brought by Pete Strzok, who was, as we know, lead agent in the FBI's Russia investigation, and Lisa Page, a former lawyer in the Bureau. And this was a lawsuit filed against the Justice Department for violating their privacy rights when the Trump administration made public text messages between them. Uh, We remember that episode quite clearly uh, when the Department of Justice made those available for people to read. I find it very frustrating that this is the first time that we're learning of, of this statement. John Kelly has known this since 2019 and has said nothing this entire time. Well, except for back in November, he, he did talk about it, I believe, to, to the Times. And, and I think Mr. Schmidt will get into that. But the disclosures made from Kelly were made under penalty of perjury. They demonstrate the extent of Donald's interest in harnessing law enforcement. Dare I say, maybe I recommend the word weaponizing, Michael? Weaponizing law enforcement and investigative powers of the federal government to target his perceived enemies. I don't know if you knew this, but in the aftermath of Richard Nixon's presidency, Congress made it illegal for the president to directly or indirectly order an IRS investigation or audit. So this is a crime. The New York Times reported last July that two of Trump's greatest perceived enemies, Jim Comey, whom he fired as FBI director, and his deputy, Andy McCabe, were the subject of the same type of highly unusual and invasive IRS audit. It is not known whether the IRS investigated Strzok or Page, but Pete Strzok became a subject in the investigation conducted by John Durham into how the FBI investigated Trump's campaign. Again, weaponization. Neither Strzok or Page were charged in connection with that investigation, which former law enforcement officials and Democrats have criticized as an effort to carry out Trump's vendetta against the Bureau. Strzok is also suing the department for wrongful termination. Now, Mr. Strzok and Ms. Page exchanged text messages that were critical of Trump and were later made public by Rod Rosenstein, the then deputy attorney general under Trump as he faced heavy criticism from Republicans on Capitol Hill who were trying to find ways to undermine him. The sworn statements from Mr. Kelly are similar to ones he told the New York Times in November, this is what I was referring to, in which he said Trump had told him that he wanted a number of his perceived political enemies to be investigated by the IRS, including Comey, McCabe, Strzok, and Page. Kelly told the Times last year that Trump's demands were part of a broader pattern of attempts to use the Justice Department, I would, I would again suggest the word weaponize, the Justice Department and his authority as president against people who were critical of him, including seeking to revoke the security clearances of former top intel officials. Remember that? We had a whole list, a hit list of people who wanted to yank their security clearances. In the sworn statement, Kelly said Trump had discussed having the security clearances of Strzok and Page revoked, although Kelly did not take action on that. Mr. Kelly said that his notes showed that Trump discussed the investigations of the two on February 21st, 2018, not 2019. Quote, I did not make a note of every instance in which the former president made a comment about Strzok or Page. He said, quote, President Trump generally disapproved of note taking in meetings. He expressed concerns that the notes might later be used against him, unquote. Mr. Kelly said that he never took any steps to follow through on Trump's desires to have his enemies investigated. 
Mr. Trump has said he knew nothing about the audits of Comey and McCabe and their spouses. The IRS's inspector general found last year that Comey and McCabe had been randomly selected for the audits, though the inspector general's report acknowledged some deviations from the IRS's rigorous rules for random selection when the agency made final selections of the returns that would be audited. I call bullshit. Mr. Kelly told the Times last year that Trump had at times discussed using the IRS and the Justice Department to address others in addition to Comey, McCabe, Strzok, and Page. They included John Brennan, Hillary Clinton, Jeff Bezos, founder of Amazon and the owner of the Washington Post, whose coverage often angered Donald. So next up from Zoe Tillman at Bloomberg, attorney disciplinary regulators recommended Rudy Giuliani be disbarred in Washington, D.C. after a local bar association panel's preliminary finding that he likely committed misconduct in pressing Donald Trump's failed legal challenges to Joe Biden in Pennsylvania. Now, disciplinary counsel Hamilton Phil Fox, Phil is in quotes, I guess that's his nickname, whose office brought the ethics complaint against Giuliani, Phil argued that the most severe sanction, losing his law license in D.C., was appropriate because Giuliani's conduct in Pennsylvania was part of a broader effort to undermine the legitimacy of an election. Quote, it was a fundamental harm to the fabric of the country that could well be irreparable. Any lawyer that engages in this kind of misconduct, harming the country as this has done, has at least got to realize that his or her law license is at risk, unquote. The hearing committee's decision Thursday is tentative. It's not final. It could change as his case continues to wind through the D.C. Bar Association's disciplinary process. But it's a major setback for the former New York City mayor in his defense against a legal ethics complaint that carries potential discipline ranging from just a warning to the loss of his license to being disbarred. Giuliani's attorney, John Leventhal, a retired judge, advocated for the least severe punishment, such as a letter of reprimand or private admonition. He argued that disbarring Rudy for pursuing post-election litigation in Pennsylvania that his client believed had merit and would chill the work of other lawyers. (laughs) Yeah, we would like it if other lawyers wouldn't try to overthrow the government. I hope that that behavior is chilled, John. Leventhal says Giuliani's conduct didn't warrant a more severe penalty, rejecting comparisons to a previous D.C. attorney ethics case involving a lawyer suspended for 90 days for suing his dry cleaners for millions of dollars over a pair of lost pants. The hearing committee chair, Robert Bernius, announced that the panel had made a preliminary finding that the disciplinary counsel's office had proven at least one of the alleged violations of attorney practice rules. They did not specify which one. Giuliani was a chief architect of Trump's legal strategy to contest losses in key states in the 2020 election. He personally worked with local attorneys in Pennsylvania to press a lawsuit in federal court, arguing that the state's election processes were unconstitutional. A district court judge and later a federal appeals court tossed the case out. The D.C. Disciplinary Counsel's Office accused Giuliani of violating attorney practice rules in handling of the litigation, which involved asking the Pennsylvania judge to invalidate large quantities of ballots cast across the state or, alternatively, to order a new election. Fox argued at a hearing last week that Giuliani weaponized his law license to try to undermine the Constitution. The three-person hearing committee shared its findings after hearing several days of testimony and arguments. Giuliani briefly presented character evidence that he believed weighed against sanctions, including his work on behalf of first responders following 9-11. The Disciplinary Council then presented its case for disbarment. 
while Giuliani's lawyer argued for the least serious sanction possible. The hearing committee will submit a final report with its recommendations to the D.C. Bar's Board on Professional Responsibility. They will decide whether to accept it. And then the District of Columbia Court of Appeals is the final arbiter. Giuliani's lawyers made a late push to defend against allegations on Thursday, putting their client back on the record to discuss efforts he says he made to personally conduct interviews with people who claim to have evidence of wrongdoing in Pennsylvania voting processes. He insisted they did vet the information and disregarded certain tips, saying that it was unfair to think they accepted every complaint they received. So those were the cream of the crop complaints? Wow. A state court in New York previously suspended Giuliani's license after finding he put the public at risk by spreading lies about the 2020 election. His license in Washington has also been suspended while he fights this ethics complaint. I think he will end up being disbarred at the end of this, at least hopefully. And from Lozano at NBC, California and Texas officials are asking the Department of Justice to open an investigation into whether Florida acted unlawfully when it sent people seeking asylum to California and Massachusetts over the past 10 months. California's governor and attorney general and the sheriff in Bear County, Texas, outlined their concerns Thursday in a letter to the U.S. DOJ. It is unconscionable to use people as political props by persuading them to travel to another state based on false or deceptive representations. We are urging the U.S. Department of Justice to investigate potential violations of federal law by those involved in this scheme. A letter signed by Governor Gavin Newsom, State Attorney General Rob Bonta, and Sheriff Javier Salazar said that while local jurisdictions and non-governmental organizations often help to relocate migrants, Florida's intentions were nefarious. Quote, this scheme is different. According to news reports, recruiters deceived migrants into taking flights to these particular locations based on promises of jobs and shelter. Now, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis's office did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Newsom, Bonta, and Salazar said the migrants were allegedly promised jobs, housing, and other services, but none were provided when they arrived in Sacramento, California, and Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. DeSantis, a Republican now running for president, claimed responsibility for the flights and said everyone had boarded the planes voluntarily. The move spurred a -a tete-a-tete between DeSantis and Newsom, who called his rival a small, pathetic man and suggested the Florida governor could face kidnapping charges. About two weeks later, Bonta said his office filed a public records request to DeSantis's office and the Florida Division of Emergency Management as, quote, part of an ongoing law enforcement investigation into the conditions under which the migrants seeking asylum were brought into California. Last year, the Bayer County Sheriff's Department launched an investigation into the September 2022 Martha's Vineyard flight, which carried some 50 migrants to the wealthy enclave. The investigation concluded that all aboard had been duped into thinking they would be provided with housing, education, and employment. Salazar referred the case to the Bear County District Attorney's Office, which continues to waive filing criminal charges. Most of the people flown to Martha's Vineyard have since relocated to other parts of the state. Separately, Bonta recently opened criminal and civil investigations into the June 2nd and June 5th transport of 36 people from Texas to Sacramento, his state. Next, from the Associated Press, Adults in Arizona can now obtain contraceptive medications over the counter at a pharmacy without a prescription under a governor's order, announced Thursday. Governor Katie Hobbs said the rule will go into effect immediately. It applies to self-administered birth control, such as hormonal and oral contraceptives, and patients 18 or older need only complete a screening and a blood pressure test. Quote, we are building an Arizona for everyone, which means ensuring people across the state 
have what they need to live a free and healthy life. That's what Katie Hobbs said in a statement. Over 20 states have statutes that let pharmacists dispense FDA-approved hormonal contraceptives without prescription. That's according to a statement from the Arizona Department of Health Services. Hobbs has used her executive powers in recent weeks to promote reproductive freedom. In June, she issued a sweeping executive order stripping prosecutors of their ability to pursue charges against anyone involved with a legally obtained abortion. She also plans to support legislation next year that would codify access to birth control. And from Benin, writing for MSNBC, at first blush, the fact that Governor Tony Evers signed a new state budget into law might not seem like a big news story. The fact that the Wisconsin Democrat managed to increase funding for public schools might seem like an encouraging development. But again, it's not the sort of things folks outside the Badger State would find notable. But what makes this week's developments in Madison a national news story is how exactly the governor increased school funding for the next four centuries. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reported on a highly unusual approach to Evers's partial veto power. The surprise move will ensure district state-imposed limits on how much revenue they're allowed to raise will be increased by $325 per student each year until 2425 creating a permanent annual stream of new revenue for public schools and potentially curbing a key debate between Democrats and Republicans during each state budget writing cycle. Now, there's a variety of ways in which Wisconsin state government is abnormal, but the power of the governor's office is among one of the most striking. As a WisConnect report explained, quote, Wisconsin's top state office has extraordinary latitude to reshape bills, specifically appropriations bills, through the use of partial vetoes. These vetoes are similar to the line-item veto powers granted to governors in most other states, but Wisconsin's partial veto is uniquely powerful. The difference is because, unlike in other states, governors in Wisconsin can strike nearly any part of a budget bill, including sentences, words, or in some cases, a single character or digit. As Evers and his team discovered, the power came in especially handy this year. According to the budget approved by the Republican-led state legislature, Wisconsin schools will receive an additional $325 per student for the 2023 to 2024 school year and the 2024 to 2025 school year. But once the bill reached his desk, the governor gave that text a little touch-up, removed some characters and a hyphen, and without actually adding any text of his own, ever signed a bill that would allocate an additional $325 per student for the 2023 to 24-25 school year. (laughs) Obviously, Evers realizes this isn't what state lawmakers had in mind, but the Democrat has the procedural power. He used it within the limits of the law, and he seems rather pleased to have pulled a fast one on Republicans in the state legislature. The Journal Sentinel's article went on to note the governor also edited dozens of other provisions, including scrapping GOP plans to cut taxes on Wisconsin's wealthiest residents. Sorry, rich people in Wisconsin. But on the four centuries worth of school funding, I'll confess to having mixed feelings. To be sure, I'm impressed by the creativity. This is Ben in writing. And I'm glad many students will benefit. But I'm also of the opinion that sound policymaking isn't supposed to work that way. Is it good news that these tricks and gimmicks will produce a worthwhile result? Yes. But should governors in general have that kind of authority to play the role of super legislator? Editing and signing bills like that? We wouldn't really want that on the other side. There's a lot wrong with Wisconsin's system, starting with the hyper-gerrymandered state legislature that gives Republicans a ridiculous and unwarranted advantage 
But when making a list of flaws, it's probably best to include the governor's partial veto powers too. All right, everybody, we're going to have some good news. If you have good news, you can send it to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. Have you ever yearned for a better night's sleep? My Helix mattress makes that wish come true every night. Customized to my exact needs, it delivers a symphony of comfort that transforms sleep from a necessity into an indulgence. And I love sleeping. Just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life, and you'll get 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Just like fingerprints, our sleep preferences are uniquely ours. Enter Helix. They offer 20 distinct mattresses to suit everyone's sleep style and comfort needs, including big and tall folks, even little kids. Their lineup is impressive, from the award-winning Lux collection to the exciting new Helix Elite collection. There's a sweet spot for everybody. I prefer a medium firm bed and I sleep on my side. So my perfect mattress is the Helix Midnight. I have never slept better. I cannot rave about it enough. Head and shoulders, best mattress I've ever owned. No contest. You can find your own personal match by taking the two-minute Helix sleep quiz. And once you find your ideal mattress, order it immediately. It'll arrive at your doorstep free of charge. Recognized by GQ and Wired as 2020's number one mattress pick and bolstered by over 12,000 five-star reviews, Helix isn't just my favorite, it's everyone's. No more mattress shops, no more guesswork. Just you, your perfect Helix mattress, and the best sleep of your life. So why wander aimlessly in a mattress store when you can order your perfect sleep partner from home? Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and use code HELIXPARTNER. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Good news. Good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, you want to play what the mutt or what the heck wine, uh, give a shout out to yourself, a shout out to a loved one, a small business in your community that you want to support, or your own small business. If you want to uh, send in shit kids say, uh, frog orgies, baby pictures, anything at all you want to send us, please do so at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Uh, another reminder, Ohio is having a special election August 8th. And today, July 10th, is the last day to register to vote in the August special. There's a link in the show notes for other important deadlines. Check to make sure you are registered. Please, that deadline is today. And remember, take everyone with you. First up from Vicky, pronouns she and her. Hello, ladies of the Leguminati. I'm a longtime listener, short-time patron from rural Ohio. Between being surrounded by signs and supporters of the Orange Menace, to pandemics, to new unconstitutional congressional maps that landed me in, wait for it, Jim Jordan's district. Ugh, insert regurgitation sound here. I wish Dana was here for it. Huh. To new election laws and recent votes to ban transgender healthcare and ban trans girls from sports. It's been a tough seven, seven, seven years here. My hubs and I are both senior citizens. We feel like we're the only sane ones around, which can also leave us with big feels. Uh, which ping pong between rage and hopelessness. Hubs wants to start putting signs on our property that say things like Hitler gained power this way. Me, I'm looking for perhaps a more constructive way that also reduces our chances of becoming victims of a hunting accident. Just kidding, sort of. Anyway, you know our gerrymandered Republican supermajority legislature has put on the ballot 
for an August special election, a measure to require 60 percent passage for constitutional amendments. It's 50 percent now plus one vote. This is all in preparation for a voter-led initiative to enshrine reproductive rights, which, God willing, will be on the November ballot. They just delivered signatures yesterday, 70 percent more than were needed to place the measure on the ballot. Hopefully that's too many for even the all-Republican teams here to fuck with. Right? Numbers too big to manipulate. Anyway, I heard about VoteForward.org on the Politics Girl podcast. Easy peasy to sign up and find the Ohio campaign to get voters to the polls in August. I've mailed 125 letters my first week. It feels so good. It feels so hopeful for the first time in a long time. I even grabbed 200 more stamps before the price goes up. So I'll be ready to write letters for the Reproductive Health Initiative, too. No pod pet, because we mourned uh, so long after the death of our last pup. However, meet Tom, who supervised my garden weeding a few weeks ago. I could only hope that he was just waiting on the orgy to start. Yes, we named toads ever since our kids were little. Yes, all toads are named Tom. <laughs> thanks for being here every day. And thanks for Jack and Isle 45, too. Uh, I'm trying to take care of myself and my mental health. I always vote blue over Q, but girls, I have to draw the line at taking any of these racist assholes with me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hello, Toad. Hi, Tom the Toad. All right, next up from Deborah W, pronouns she and her. Hi, my beans queens. I absolutely cannot start my morning without you. Also, love, love, love clean up on aisle 45 and Jack. You keep me well-informed daily. You pick up so much of the small stuff that later becomes huge. Thank you, Deborah. I'm so glad that you noticed that. <laughs> I sometimes sit and watch the news and I'm like, we talked about that two days ago. Uh, okay. The other day, you mentioned we could give ourselves a shout out. Well, I'm proud of the work I've accomplished through PFLAG and I want to share it. I became a member in 1997 when my son came out of the closet. My family welcomed this news with open arms, but sought out a place to speak with other parents. I found the wonderful organization PFLAG. Soon after becoming a member, our chapter leader moved out of the area, so I stepped up to the plate, put on my big girl panties, and became the chapter leader. The chapter continued on for several years, but slowly the members drifted away, so we had to disband. I continued being an outspoken ally, hosting many events in our home for many children whose parents had been involved. I know this is a very long story, but it doesn't end there. In 2019, I was asked to start a PFLAG chapter in Williamsburg, Virginia. During the pandemic, I worked remotely with a group of wonderful, supportive individuals, who helped me start on the ground floor to complete the necessary and never-ending paperwork to be a legal nonprofit. We welcomed members initially and quickly spread to virtual and in-person meetings, as well as a branch for LGBTQIA plus youth. Uh, because I'm in my 70s, I vacated my position to a much younger member who could relate to the parents of teens now. I thought it was best to have someone more in tune with the young parents and their children. I keep up with what's going on. I'm very proud of everything happening for parents and children in the area. As a family side note, my son-in-law and son have been married close to 20 years and have adopted the most beautiful daughter. Here's a picture of my granddaughter with a picture she drew of us for pet tax. My baby chickens, Fuzzy Face, Cutie Pie, Lil Bit, Lenore, Scooter, Lucy, and Hazel. Look at this baby. <laughs> I love the picture of you two. <laughs> That's great. Oh, hi, chickens. Oh, they're so cute. I love chickens. All right, Evie, next up, pronouns she and her. Hello, beans. My state of Iowa has become the Florida of the Midwest. This year, instead of our usual large and amazing red, white, and blue 4th of July celebration, my adult children inspired me to make it a 4th of gay lie. <laughs> instead of uh, a patriotic bunting and clothing, it was all pride all the time. Now, you have to understand, we live in an extremely small town. 
I've lived here my entire life, and the parade goes right past my house. We're fed up with the anti-LGBTQ plus laws and the attacks on our trans kids. We even yelled protect trans rights and protect women's choice as the Republican candidates walking in the parade walked by. It felt awesome. I'm including pictures from that day and some pet tax of my corgi, Bernadette, which is, by the way, a perfect name for a corgi. The young boy with the diversity makes us stronger sign is my 10-year-old grandson who thought it up and made it himself. Keep up the good work. Oh, that's amazing. Well done. A little game of cornhole in the background too. Sweet. I love that. I've never seen pride bunting. Now I need to, I need to go get some of that. And somebody dressed as a Bud Light. Oh, this is so great. Ah, wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for this. Next up from Susan, pronoun she and her. Hello there. We may have a new name for you. Check out this coffee I found on my recent trip to Alaska for my niece's wedding. You fine ladies must be the supreme beans. This is roasted in Alaska, and I couldn't resist the packaging. The coffee tastes great, too. I'm including a photo of the wedding backdrop because it's just too beautiful not to share. This is the happy couple's backyard view every single day. Part of the wonder is that although it changes with clouds and lightning, it's always stunning. For pet tax, meet Lincoln, the cat who lives in our rental house. We were told the summer he's most likely an outdoor cat and doesn't like people much. My daughter is a cat whisperer and Lincoln's new best friend. They snuggled. He got scritches and kitty treats. I'm pretty sure he didn't mind any of it. Give thanks to the supreme being. <laughs> that's very cool. Oh, wow. That's the view from the backyard. Oh, that's beautiful. Look at that lawn. Everything's so green. Hi, kitty. Hi, kitty baby so cute. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Next up from Kelly, pronoun she and her. Hello, favorite beans ladies. First, thank you for being you. You make my day. I need some advice. My brother who lives in Chicago is married to an absolutely lovely lady that I adore and they both despise Trump. But my brother told me the other day that his wife was going to vote for Pence. Good grief. My brother and his wife both feel Biden is too old. How do I talk to them? to convince them that's the wrong path. My brother's not religious, so he heard Pence spew his religious crap a few weeks ago, and that changed his mind, but the wife likes his religious side. Please help. I see them in August, and my sister-in-law and I spend a lot of time alone, early mornings talking, so my plan is to change her mind over the week that I'm there. Enough of that. Now I have good news. It starts off sad, but stick with it. You'll get a heart lift at the end. I sent pics of my dog, Jetta, last year. Here she is again. I lost my mom in November, and then Jetta got sick. She was too far gone, and we had to let her go in January. Absolutely killed me. I dove into a deep depression. A man I love, my fiancé, said, let's go look at shelter puppies. It might make you feel better. And here's your heart lift. We found Frankie slash Scrappy. He licked my face to death. It jumped all over me. He was a rescue as a stray from North Carolina and was brought to Canada and now lives with us. See if you can guess his breeds. He spoiled. He couldn't look out our window because he was too short. So I brought him a chaise lounge. Picture provided. Thanks for all you do. Love to you all at the beans. I know it takes more than you two to make it happen. I'm a proud patron to help make that happen. Thank you very much. Oh, gosh, Kelly. Gosh, um, I would find something that you know that you both care about. Do you have any LGBTQ plus people in your life? If you do... Um, 
maybe start there. Or talk about uh, women's rights. I think we can all sort of get on board with that because Pence wants to make a national ban on abortion. He wants to federalize that. So maybe start there. Let me know how it goes. Look at this dog. Okay, so this dog... Um, Pity? And Mastiff? I don't know, he's beautiful. Oh, Rhodesian Ridgeback and Sharpay. Yeah. Let's see. Oh, there's no answers. So that just means I'm right. So there's probably Chow Chow in there too. Thank you for these. Thank you for the good news submissions from everyone. I really appreciate it. Dana will be back tomorrow. Go Ohio and check your registration. The deadline is today. Make sure you are registered to vote so you can vote on August 8th. Okay, very, very important. And just send an email out to your email list and say, hey, let's let's have an after party or a, a, let's pregame and then go vote. You know, just send out a send out a little just reach out and um, we'll, we'll be back in your ears tomorrow. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q and bring someone with you. I've been A.G. and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, 
I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.